Again, the, temp- the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into, the contain- into containers and threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come, come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. And he said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You may be seated. Let's, uh, Let's pray. Lord, thank you this evening for your goodness to us. We, we think of the stories that many of us have, perhaps all of us have, uh, in one level or another of how you have worked in us. We thank you for gathering us here tonight. We thank you for your word. And we pray now that you would help us to attend to it uh, with care and help the one who teaches, to teach the word in truth. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. The Gospel of Matthew is particularly characterized by five long uh, speeches or or, uh, discourses, you might call them, that Jesus gives. And this is one of those discourses that we're in the middle of. And it's a discourse in which in chapter 13 of Matthew, Jesus gives a number of parables in a row. And this is the last one in that series that he relays to them. I've preached on all of the others here at some time or another over the years. Uh, But this one is particularly interesting. Uh, And we call it the parable of the net. And... If you look back through those different parables, you can see that Jesus is teaching several important truths to his hearers using this method of teaching that he liked to use, which is teaching by parables. He taught about the sower and the seed and how the harvest is an uneven thing. And and the seed goes out and some places it bears much fruit and other places it doesn't bear any fruit. Uh, there There are There are parables that have to do with uh, the the fact that the the kingdom of heaven is is of great value, like a treasure that's found in a field. There are are parables that talk about the fact that in the kingdom of heaven, at least temporarily, there's a time in which there's a mixture of good and bad. There's a field and it has wheat, but it also has weeds in it. And these weeds are actually just look just like wheat. You can't tell them apart, but there will be a day when they'll be separated and so forth. But this parable here tonight, the parable of the, of the net, shows us that every human being must prepare for God's judgment. Every human being must prepare for God's judgment. 
And you know why there are five truths here that I believe we will, will help us to understand why that is true. Every one of us needs to prepare for God's judgment. Number one, because God's judgment is thorough. Notice what the text says here. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore. In the, Old Te- in the time of Christ, and, and perhaps in Old Testament times as well, but certainly in the days of Christ, one of the things, one of the professions was fishing. And the way, one of the ways that they fished in those days was by net fishing. And these nets will surprise you if you have not studied this, but I have read some scholars on the subject. They say that these nets would be approximately 750 to 1,000 feet long. That is about three football fields in length. And they would take these these uh, nets. The nets would, would be about 25 feet uh, deep in the middle, and on the ends they would be about five feet uh, long. And they would have sinkers on the bottom, and they would have floaters on the top. And two boats would take one of these nets out into the ocean, into the sea, and they would spread it out between the boats so that it was uh, it would grasp anything in its way. And these two boats would drag this net through the water, underneath the water, gathering up all of the fish in its in its uh, path. And then they would gather the, they would bring this net up onto the shore and pull it in and dump all of those fish onto the uh, banks or onto the shore, the beach. And there they would process the fish that had been caught. And the picture that Jesus gives us here as he tells us about this net dragging the fish in shows us that the judgment of God, which is what he's really talking about, the kingdom of heaven and the judgment that comes, that it is thorough. That is, no one is exempt. It collects fish, it says, of every kind. That is, uh, it gets uh, not just good fish, it gets the bad fish, it gets anything that's there and drags it all in. We could say that in the terms of the judgment, every person is being gathered in. That is the Jews and the Gentiles, people from every part of the earth, are being drawn in by this net, by this judgment. Every human being who ever lived and drew God's breath is included. No one is exempt. Furthermore, no one escapes. The text tells us that when it was full, the men drew it ashore. That net would be, would be stretched to capacity as it's dragging in all of these fish that they came up with. It would not be a meager haul. It would be, an in, in, it would be inescapable for the fish. They will have nowhere to go except into the net and to be dragged up onto the banks. I don't know if you've had this experience, but I heard a story, or I know a story, about a teenage boy who loaded up a bunch of his friends and uh, driving around the city of Roanoke at 
high rates of speed flying down Melrose Avenue one night in the summer, saw a police car coming the other way. This person became panicked and said, I've got to get out of here, I'm going to get caught. He went up a side road and had all of his friends hunkering down in the car, hoping the police would not catch him. Have you ever been in that kind of situation, trying to outrun the cops? That's not fun. I can tell you from personal experience, it was not fun. But I did escape. I did escape, but a couple of years later, I realized I would not escape the judgment of God. God is not like the police. Sometimes they just let the guy go, not worth bothering with. But the judgment of God will grasp everybody, everybody who has ever lived. No one escapes. Hebrews 9.27 says it this way, and it's just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. You must prepare for God's judgment because it's inescapable, it's thorough, and no one is exempt. Secondly, God's judgment is personal. <laughs> it works. I don't like that. God's judgment is personal. It says here, after the men drew, uh, drew the net ashore, they sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. Well, so the, once the haul had been made and the fish were on the banks, the next part of the process was to go through and sort the fish by good and bad. Now, I'm sure you want to know how they knew whether they were good or bad. So I'll tell you. Uh, in Leviticus chapter 11, it explains very carefully. God's word is just fabulous. In Leviticus 11, it says this, verse 9, these you may eat, they're talking about the things in the waters, you may eat of all that are in the waters, everything in the waters that has fins and scales, whether in the seas or in the rivers, you may eat, but anything in the seas or the rivers that does not have fins and scales of the swarming creatures in the waters and of the living creatures that are in the waters, it is detestable to you. You shall regard them as detestable. You shall not eat any of their flesh and you shall detest their carcasses. Everything in the waters that does not have fins and scales is detestable to you. Did I mention detestable? Yeah, I, I think so. So as they examine the fish, they're looking for fish that has scales and fins. Those are good. And the others, no. They are detestable. So each fish has to be examined to as to its condition and judged as to whether it's a good or a bad fish and then assigned to its proper place. Uh, the good will be kept and the bad will be discarded. Now think about it a second. What can a fish do if it's a bad fish? I mean, what can a fish do? Can a fish change itself? Can it suddenly grow fins and scales? No, that won't work. But 
This isn't about fish, is it? This is about people, about you and me, about human beings. We will be found, will we be found worthy? Will we be found or we will be, and we will be, will we be kept or will we be condemned to the garbage pile? And it won't be man sorting fish, but peep, but angels sorting people, the evil and the righteous. Stop and think about it. Even in the Old Testament, it was clear. In fact, it was clear from the beginning. Surely there is not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. Ecclesiastes 7.20 And then 2 Corinthians 5.10 also says it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. My friends, the judgment is very personal. God's judgment is personal. And you must prepare for God's judgment. You will be judged, evil or good, accordingly. Third, God's judgment is final. Jesus said, so it will be at the close of the age. Jesus describes uh, this judgment that where the fish are judged as good or bad. And then after they are judged, they are separated from each other. The good and the bad are separated. And then there is an assignment or a disposition with that fish. The evil are thrown into a fiery furnace, it says. And there is no off-ramp there. It's over for the evil and It is not good because, number four, God's judgment is fearful. It says that the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Scripture teaches us that hell is a conscious, painful unending experience of separation from God. And it's not uncommon for us to find people who don't believe in hell, but beside that, they find ways to make jokes about it. One person made this comment, well, I just hope hell is is as much fun as it's been getting there. People laugh. They think as if it were something that really doesn't exist. The devil is just a funny guy in red pajamas with a pitchfork. Um, But Jesus' parable of judgment is calculated to wipe the silly grins off of our faces before it's too late. What hope is there? We must prepare for God's judgment, but there is something new that Jesus brings to the discussion because God's judgment is satisfied. God's judgment is satisfied. Jesus, after he told this parable, he went on to ask the disciples a question, sort of a self-evaluation test at the end of his lesson. 
he said to them, Have you understood all these things? They said to him, Yes. I just imagine them so confident and so sure of themselves that they knew they understood all of this, although they proved later not to understand things quite so well. And he said to them, Therefore, every scribe who has been trained for the kingdom of heaven is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. It's a curious statement, but apparently the, the concept that Jesus is making here is that he is training scribes for the kingdom. He's training people, these disciples that he is teaching that he's instructing, that he's guiding, and that he is modeling truth before them. He is teaching them to be scribes who are trained for the kingdom of heaven. They are to go forth. They are going to be sent out to the ends of the earth to make disciples of all nations. And these scribes themselves have been made disciples of the kingdom. And he says that these, these trained disciples, these trained scribes, are like masters of a house that brings out of his treasure the new, what is new and what is old. So that uh, a good host, a master of a house who has guests in his home, brings out things to provide for them, including some old things, maybe perhaps some old family heirlooms that he wants to show them, or something new that he has acquired. He is sharing what he has with his guests. So, so it is with the disciples. They are being taught new things, but they're also being taught to remember the old things. What Jesus has been teaching is both old and new. In what sense is it old? What's old is that God is a holy God who demands perfection. And he created all things. And he made us. He made us in his image. And we are fallen sinners. The reality of our sin is that God, if he exercised his judgment upon us as he is totally free to do, he would cast us all into hell. None of us would be found good fish. We would all be bad fish. He cast Adam and Eve out of the garden. Down through the centuries, sinners have always had a consciousness of their sin. What was the first thing, the first reaction that our first parents, Adam and Eve, had when they realized that they had sinned? They're, they were ashamed. They hid. And that same consciousness of our sinfulness, that same awareness that we're not good, we're not good, that we deserve to be condemned and cast out. That same consciousness has continued down through the ages. So holiness, the holiness of God, the sin of, that we commit, the guilt that we bear, and the dread of eternal condemnation was nothing new in the first century during Jesus' lifetime. These were all old things. But there was even a glimmer of hope that in the Old Testament times, there was a glimmer of hope 
that somehow, someday, the seed of the woman would come and do and deal a fatal blow to the serpent. There was a prom- There were promises. Uh, if you read your Old Testament carefully, there was promises of a Messiah, an anointed one who would come, and he would be wounded for our transgressions, that by his stripes we would be healed. And all the well-taught Jews understood this. What was new that Jesus brought was that the kingdom of heaven had come in the person of the Word of God, the Word made flesh, God the Son. He had come to bring the gospel, the good news, that there is a way to be righteous, a way for bad fish to be counted among the good, not by works of righteousness which we have done, the way Titus writes it is this, by, but when the goodness, and, and I'm reading from Titus 3, 4 to 7, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hard soil, rocky soil, thorny soil, that could be transformed. That could be plowed up. There could be fruit growing there depending on the grace and mercy of God. All of these parables that he was teaching them, ending up with the parable of the net, all pointed to the gospel. Good news that in Christ, lost and hopeless sinners are saved by bowing before him and seeking his mercy and forgiveness. So where are you? You think about the parable of the net. You think about the fish being gathered, they're caught, they're dragged up on the shore, they're sorted out, good and bad, and there's no good ones. Are you amongst those? Do you see yourself uh, as someone who has no hope? Maybe you think you have tried really hard. You have failed over and over again. You know that it's impossible to be the kind of person you should be You know that. You violate your own conscience. But this parable is not meant to discourage us. It's not meant to make us feel hopeless, but it's meant to warn us that apart from Him, we will be found to be bad fish and thrown out because God's judgment is thorough and personal and final and fearful. And we must be prepared for it. But the master of the house who brings out his treasure, what is new, the gospel of life in him through faith. If we believe that then he has borne our sins in his body on the tree and we are safe. The picture I have, and I like to think about it, 
quite often is the picture of ancient uh, Egypt and the Israelites who were hunkered down that night when God said that the angel of death was going to take out every firstborn son in every home unless there was the blood of the lamb over the doorposts. And in those Israelite homes, the believing Israelites sacrificed lambs and took the blood and put it over the doorposts those nights. And inside of that house, they gathered around and waited what would happen. And the, and the angel passed over every house where there was blood. But inside, there was safety and there was protection because the blood was there. The blood of the Lamb kept them safe from the angel of death. And so will His blood protect us at the time of the judgment when God brings those fish in and we are found to be amongst those who are good. Not by ourselves, but by Him. So every human being must prepare for the coming of God's judgment. I have showed you five truths which support this premise, that God's judgment is thorough and personal and final and fearful, but that it is also satisfied with the offering of Christ on the cross. This is how bad fish become good fish, by faith, by grace in Jesus Christ. So prepare. I ask you tonight, are you ready for the judgment? Are you ready to stand before God who you will stand before? We will all stand before Him. And we will be found either in Christ or not, depending on our faith in Him. But I ask you to bow in prayer. <clears throat> Let's take a moment for silent prayer, I would ask you to tonight to consider are you trusting in Jesus Christ? Do you trust in the blood of the Lamb on the doorposts to keep you safe? Are you prepared to meet the judge on that day? If you are trusting in Him, I would ask you to silently tell Him that you're trusting in Him alone and not in your works, not in your good deeds, not in your improved behavior, but in Christ alone who saves repentant sinners. <clears throat>